Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Thanks for joining me for another week. We are all in for a treat today as we hear from Moy about doubles, the street food she says profoundly connects everyone in her country, the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, regardless of race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic status. Double sounds simple enough, just fried bread called bara, topped with a flavorful chana or chickpea gravy. But it is so good that after making it before this interview, I now know I have to make a quadruple batch to satisfy my family. As you may have guessed, the dish has its roots in India, which was the perfect starting point for Moy to teach me about the unique history and diversity of Trinidad and Tobago. Also, the version Moy gave me is gluten-free, as Moy cannot eat any gluten at all and has used her considerable baking skills to develop recipes for many. We discuss her diagnosis at length, but because this episode was already so rich and packed with information, I'm also releasing a bonus episode this Friday with Moy's best tips for baking gluten-free foods. Thank you. Thank you. And I see that your profile picture is you doing art. Yeah. I do custom finishes on walls. Do you really? Yeah. I I do interior design, actually. That's my day job, more or less. And as part of that, I also do custom wall features, finishes for people. Simple murals for kids and, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. it's it's not such an accident that you're doing art now then? Well, it felt like an accident because this is more, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's a concept that you're trying to create for the person. You know, they want it to look like marble or they want to add some drama, some mystery, some romance, whatever it is. And so that's more abstract. Mm. Um, but the thing is, I have loved art forever. Mm. I love art. Right? I can't live in a house where the walls are there. I, I just can't. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to have like a gallery style home, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just lots of that. But there's no way to afford that. So, <laughs> so you paid your own. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I already know a little bit more about you. I'm happy to know that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I just my family um uh, just called me from Maryland. Did your hmm. sister tell you it's pouring here in Maryland right now? No, and it's actually pouring here in Trinidad as well. Is it? Is Trinidad yeah. in the hurricane belt? Yes, but we we don't really get affected like that. We have a lot of flooding. Okay. We had a particularly bad one two years ago, and um, that affected my family directly. When I say my family, I, I'm, I'm with my in-laws. My car was gone. Flood <gasps> it took away every single item they own because it's a it's a two-story home. And then downstairs, we're upstairs, and it, it it washed away every single thing. We lost everything downstairs. It was mm. horrific. So every time the rain falls like this, we're worried. Mm. It's it's crazy. But no, we don't get the hurricane itself, like the strong winds, and so we hardly get that. So that's interesting to me. So tell me a little bit about, do you say Caribbean or Caribbean? Caribbean, and we say Trinidad and Tobago. Tobago, okay. Tobago, yeah. Okay, so yeah. where are they in the Caribbean compared to others that they don't get hit by hurricanes as heavily? Why is that? 
we're further south. If okay. you were to, uh, let's say, position the map of the U.S. and you start from Miami, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, and so on, those are closer to Miami. We're mm-hmm. all the way down closer to um, South America, Venezuela. We're two islands. Tobago is the smaller of the two, mm-hmm. but it's one republic. So one governing body, one set of rules, one parliament, and so on. We are literally almost like in hopping distance to Venezuela very closely. Yes, I see that. I'm looking at a map. You really are just, like you said, hopping distance. You could take a rowboat. Yes, (laughs) it happens a lot, of course, because Venezuela is in Mm. economic turmoil. So we have a lot of more influx of them coming in. And it's just right there. There are some parts in Trinidad where you can just stand on your balcony and look across and there's Venezuela. So... That's yeah. incredible. And then why, I, I always feel bad for people who come on the podcast to talk about food and then they have to give me a history lesson. It's fine. <laughs> I, like, I like the history. I love the history. Well, I'm very interested. First of all, why the two? We're just so close. It's like less than 20 minutes in an aircraft and the colonization, I suppose, mm-hmm. kind of happened simultaneously. So in the case of Trinidad, it was first, quote-unquote, discovered by Christopher Columbus. So that's, we're talking Spanish influence there. Mm-hmm. And then through the years, it changed hands. And the latest or the last was the British Empire. Mm-hmm. And so Tobago had a very similar history. It, it's just so close. So that when mm-hmm. Britain, they mm-hmm. annexed the two. They annexed Trinidad and Tobago because it just made sense. So... Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're separated by a body of water, it really is just one republic. Some of the others may have, um, like Martinique, for instance, mm. they're, they're still annexed to France. France is their sovereign still. So there are one or two Caribbean islands that haven't moved, let's say, from one stage to the next, like mm. Trinidad has done. And they may have had different influences because, as I said, so we have Spanish in Trinidad, that, that influence of the Spanish Empire Mm-hmm. We've had French, we've had Dutch, mm-hmm. we have had um, the British Empire. In mm-hmm. terms of what they left behind, it's more to do with traditions and a little bit of food and maybe architecture. Mm-hmm. But what really sets Trinidad apart is the fact that, as all of the other colonies, um, they would have brought slaves, let's say, from Africa. Mm-hmm. And they would have, the slaves would have been here. But at some point in time, because Trinidad was bound to fill in its, well, they had, it started with sugarcane and then cocoa and more recently we have oil. Mm -hmm. So they brought in indentured laborers from India. So unlike unlike everywhere else. So when you look at the population of Trinidad, the two main ethnic groups are the Afro-Trinidadian and the Indo-Trinidadian. And they are the Indo-Trinidadians just uh, nudge the Afro-Trinidadians just out just a little bit. So there's more in terms of just percentage, two or three more okay. percentages. You know? And then there is a smaller population now of, of white mixed Chinese and so on. In the last few years, we have seen an influx of people coming in to um, do business from China mm-hmm. and, and also a little bit more of the Latin community from Venezuela, mm-hmm, from Venezuela. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I expect at some point that some of that will cause influence. But in terms of cuisine, it's really the Afro-Indian Trinidadians that, that kind of rule the cuisine more than mm. anyone else. I, I've just I've I've actually never heard that before that Indians were brought in as indentured servants and it it, it explains something actually because um I was speaking to someone who's Indian by ethnicity in a previous episode and she was talking about the racism and the stereotypes that she faced when she moved to the UK and as I was, mm-hmm. as I was listening to her I said you know those are really different stereotypes than the stereotypes that us Americans hold about Indians. Yeah. And what yeah. I said to her is the stereotypes that you were subject to is very similar to the stereotypes that I feel like black Americans are subject yeah. to here. And I think it comes down to it. These lies that oppressors tell about the people yeah. they oppress, right? The lies are the same across history. Yeah. It's a little different for us at some mm-hmm. level. Racism looks very, very different in the Caribbean. Well, the Indians from from India when they came to Trinidad, they were they were they came on their own volition. They were invited oh, to work, and they okay. were given land to work. Um, oh. So, if you look at the history of the two sets of ethnicities, slavery okay. was really more prominent for the Afro Trinidadians okay. and less for the for the Indian yeah. Trinidadians. Not as though they were treated well by yeah. the white. They were simply laborers, but it afforded them opportunity at some point to be able to amass land. And when you Mm -hmm. look at what's happening in the two ethnicities in Trinidad, traditionally the Indian population were the ones who owned the land and they would hold on to that, guard that jealously Mm -hmm. and pass it on to their kids. So you have a lot of situations like that. Like for instance, my in-laws are Indo-Trinidadians and I live with them. That's not uncommon. We don't Mm -hmm. share the same um, let's say living quarters during the day, but it's it's a house and they've got their land and so on, and that's mm. very very normal. So racism okay. looks a little different. Um, when okay. you had done the podcast, she mentioned caste system and color, and that is mm. absolutely still a thing. It's a brown country, generally mm. speaking, brown black country. There are whites. There are lots more whites than people realize, and people of different colors. But really, between the browns, what happens is if you are fairer or maybe your socioeconomic position is different, you may be treated differently. So it just looks different. Racism just looks very different. And the odd thing about that is Trinidad is such a small place, yet between, let's say, one village and the next, and that's really being generous about its own village. Mm-hmm. But a hop across the road somewhere else, mm-hmm. you'd find that, and you would say, yeah. oh, person is from x area and therefore that's why and then between trinidad and tobago tobago is predominantly blacks okay not indian and they again there's a a marked difference between people from tobago the blacks from tobago and the blacks in trinidad we may want to pretend that there isn't but there is it's a bit of a it's a bit of a pride thing it's it's Mm -hmm. it's how we see ourselves because Maybe the influences are different. Racism looks different here. It looks different and it's, it's not a white against a black or something like that. We do have the socioeconomic divide between the 1%, 2%, 3% white 
and the rest of Trinidad and Tobago. But really, truly, it's internal. It's just between us thinking that um, if you're fairer and you've got longer, longer hair or whatever it is, somehow you are more attractive, you're better, and you can get opportunities. So mm. that's kind of like where, what it looks like to us. Mm. And um, people make assumptions about you immediately yeah. when they see your color. They make some assumptions about you. Yeah. Make assumptions about what you can do, what you can accomplish, how much money you have. They make assumptions. They just yeah. take a look at you, whoever you are, and they make assumptions. The fact is, Trinidad and Tobago has, it's incredible the amount of diversity in the people and how they look. Let's say all black women, there's so much variation in between because then you would have had intermarrying between right. the ethnicities and it's even beautiful, you know. Not every Caribbean island is like that to begin with. Not every Caribbean has that diversity. Um, but it, it's just that when you look at it, you wonder, well, how could anyone truly discriminate? <laughs> because right. Uh, the entire and race issue is nonsensical to me. I I went yeah, to an exhibit in New York called Bodies. It's amazing. The guy who did it, he preserved um, parts of the body at every stage. So there was a, let's say if you cut the body down, and he's using real people, by the way, people who wow. would die. If you cut the body like lengthways so that you could see inside, somehow he was able to, let's say, preserve the capillary system and all the blood vessels and so intact, right? Whatever, whatever he did, but, but you could see it. It, it was fascinating. And at the end of it, the very, very end of the exhibit, there is a plaque that says, after all that he has done and the research that he has done, he, he has found that all humans are 99.999%, literally, that's what it says, mm. the same. If there's any variation, the variation is inside of one race. So in other words, mm. I am a black woman, and compared to another black woman, I look so different, but we are both mm. black women. So the mm. differences come in the same race, but from one race to another, when you get down to the campus, we are absolutely, 99.99%, he said, the same. Mm. That's it. And that was mind-blowing um, mm -hmm. to have that recorded mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's no basis for... Mm racism at right. all it's just well but the same but with different histories yes mm. yeah it's hey okay so yeah I, I think we're obviously going through some incredible growing pains in our country we've had reckonings along the way and we're in the midst of a major reckoning which has to happen ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun <laughs> Absolutely nothing new. That's one of my favorite texts, actually. Mm -hmm. It's been there. It's been there from time immemorial. Even our feelings of inferiority and superiority, it's attached to some part of our, our, our brain from whenever. It does seem to be part of the human, one of the, the less desirable parts of the human condition. Yes. Well, let's get back to you personally a little bit more and talk sure. about you do as a day job. You're an artist. You're an interior designer, which is absolutely an artist, especially because you hand paint murals and these gorgeous finishes and everything. But you're also a baker. 
And yeah. I think I understand you sell you sell finished products, but you also sell mixes. Am I right? Yes, I, okay. I do. Well, because I can't have gluten. Yeah. So good. you know what? I should I, let's back up. Let's back up. I should have sure. asked that first. Tell me, when did you figure out I can't eat gluten? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would say a few years ago, some time ago, in my adult life anyway, I kept getting sick. I was, I lost weight. I'm already, I was already extremely tiny, mm. but I was just getting really ill, and it was always something with my stomach. I mean, mm. and they suggested maybe it's just IBS. So things improved somewhat, but not completely. And I would, I would just, I just kept losing weight, and and you'd see other issues. I now understand that um, what was happening is almost as though you're malnourished. Your yeah. body is unable to absorb the nutrients that you eat because of your inability to digest gluten. Or, well, actually, it's an autoimmune condition and it attacks and so on. But quite simply, your, your body is showing the signs of malnutrition even though you're eating. Mm-hmm. So I had problems with my hair, nails, and so many other things. I mean, it's it's incredible when you... when I finally got the diagnosis and understood this is what it is. And then I traced little things from childhood and teenagers and coming up. I realized, oh, that might be why that was happening. So do you think that this is a condition you've always had or did it just come on out of nowhere? I think I've always had some kind of sensitivity. But the way this works, I feel that the early warning signs were there and not interpreted correctly to make the jump from you are not well to it's what you eat is not the way that traditionally let's say medicine and science works the the link between your gut and your well-being was not really firmly established so Mm -hmm. that's not the first thing everyone would look for Mm -hmm. um i got my thyroids were tested constantly they tested me for lupus they just could not understand you know but so I think the signs were there, the warning signs were there, and they were just interpreted incorrectly. Yeah. And I'm not surprised, really, with all the bad press that gluten-free eating gets, I'm not surprised that there may be people who have an issue and are believing that it's something else and just not getting it treated properly. I won't be surprised at all. I just want to make sure I understand. You think there are people that are suffering from gluten intolerance. So... Is gluten intolerance always celiac disease or are they different? Yeah, they're not the same. Okay. Um, celiac disease is, is well, let's just say when you get diagnosed, they mm. they can find, if you want to call them antibodies or, or chemical yeah. medicine that can say, well, okay, you've had this because okay. celiac disease is an autoimmune condition, which means okay. that your body is attacking itself. Mm. Just again, like lupus or some of the others, it's right. an autoimmune condition, whereas the sensitivity just so you may get pretty much the same symptoms, but in terms of what it's doing to your body, it's different. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is for either case, it's not an allergy. So right. people are quick to say, well, you're not going to end up with a, in the hospital right. with an allergic reaction because it's right. not an allergy. Yeah. So, you feel like a lot of people are not getting diagnosed with um gluten intolerance because of bad press did i hear you say that that is one reason Mm. it's not fashionable anymore 
because mm-hmm. everyone yes. makes fun of it. Everybody yeah. makes fun of it. So yeah. there are some people who will not get properly tested because, funnily enough, the doctors aren't trained properly either. But again, part of that is the bad press because I've been to a doctor before, a few doctors, and I would say, I can't have that. And they say, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who told you that? So mm-hmm. yes, bad press is one. The second thing would be kind of related to the bad press doctors thing. It, it's that they're not equipped. That's not the first thing that comes to mind to check. And then some people just consider that that's normal. This makes me feel upset. And they go around thinking, oh, sometimes I, my, my stomach hurts. So, and they, mm-hmm. they don't think that something's wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they're handling whatever it is right. fairly okay. Right. Um, and they just don't get tested. Right. They've just accepted it. Well, I'm curious if you have a thought about, uh, well, two of these things, but they kind of relate. So my, I have some African friends and they always joke and say, gluten intolerance is not a thing in Africa. Um, also, I have had on podcast guest after podcast guest who has said, I cannot eat wheat products in America. But when I go to my home country, all of a sudden, I can eat them and feel fine. Do you have any comment <laughs> on any of that? Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh-huh. There is actual scientific data that says a, a particular subset uh-huh. of the world, uh-huh. uh, uh, let's see, more prone to um, celiac disease and gluten intolerance. And it is actually those who are by ethnicity white or has that in their family line so for the people who are well we don't have that here us in Africa or black people they're not absolutely incorrect so for people who are black they've had to have somebody in their family that was white there is that there is the science that that suggests that this is so the if I ate wheat in let's say the US and I, and I eat wheat in my hometown and it, it and it's a little different. I, I'm not too sure that that is celiac or gluten-free related. It might just be that whatever the product is, is too refined. And there's a whole lot of things that affect your gut health. But it's also fiber. So there might be something in terms of the process, in terms of where it is. In the Caribbean, not necessarily Trinidad anymore, but in the Caribbean, people tend to have access to homegrown grains and, you know, provision, they call it, and so on. And so that may be healthier in its preparation. And there has still been a very strong community of people who cook at home, again, not from that. So it might very well be that difference. That is really interesting. I am a voracious reader and researcher kind of thing. And you've got to know it. It's, again, it's, it's, amazing to me that there's so many in the medical profession that have a lot less information about this. And and the thing about it is it's not just being gluten-free. You have people who are lactose intolerant. You have people who can't have as much sugar or whatever it is. And I think for, uh, let's say, a medical practitioner, you should learn about something like that. Because when we come to you and we present ourselves with, let's just say, a migraine headache, there is something at the base of that. Some people yes. get migraine headaches 
not just because of their physiology, but they'll get a migraine headache because of something that they're eating or in some environment that they're in. I mean, I have been laughed at in my face and I ended up in the hospital. I had an incident, ended up in the hospital. Mm. I am telling them, I don't think the problem is whatever it is they're trying to test me for. I think the problem is my stomach. And they're like, no, (laughs) no, that's not the problem. And uh, well, eventually when they took x-rays and they did some tests, well, they realized, oh, she's right. So do you feel like that's part of your mission when you sell your baked goods and you sell your mixes to really educate? Do you form a personal relationship with your clients? Yes and no. Some of them Mm. I would. I'm Mm. careful in terms of what advice I give because Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor, Mm -hmm. you know. I would encourage people to go get some tests done and I could point them in a direction, but I'm very careful about what I see and to whom I say it. But on the other hand, um, yeah, the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm baking is one, yes, for all of those people who have no choice, Mm -hmm. for those who have no option, for the people who come to me and they don't understand where to begin. Mm -hmm. Or let's say, a mother with an autistic child and the doctor suggested certain dietary changes, they are overwhelmed. That's definitely one of the major influences in what I do. Mm-hmm. I do try as well whenever I have a conversation that allows it to be sure that I let people know that don't ignore us. And I don't mean just the celiac, gluten-free but anybody who comes to you and says that they have a food sensitivity, allergy, whatever it is, don't ignore us. And worse, don't mm. decide that we don't know what we're talking about. And therefore, you are under no obligation to prepare a meal a certain way, given the direction that we've given you. Right. It's absolutely joy inducing. It makes you really happy. Mm. When a mom mm. comes to me and she says, this is the first time my my daughter, my son, has ever eaten this. And they were so mm. happy. Oh. Say, thank you. Thank you. I've had I had a parent not too long ago. The child was, she, she has a brain tumor. It could not operate. So she's mm. been living with this for almost seven years or whatever. And she, the doctor has given her a particular kind of diet because you want to try everything. This is your yeah. daughter, your child. Yeah. And when I made that cake, I mean, <laughs> all you can think about is how is this little girl going to feel? Can I make her happy? Because mm. she deserves that. She's a kid <sighs> and she loved it. And I felt so good. <laughs> yeah. So good. What an incredible gift you gave her. That it is really a calling. Gave to me as well. She mm. It's. Just it's rewarding, on as I said, to share that with somebody, but to be able to sit down and figure out something, you know, mm. I've been missing this. Let's let's go to doubles, roti, whatever. To sit down and figure this puzzle out. How can I make this thing taste almost as good as the original? Oh, that is fantastic. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it must be exhilarating to solve that puzzle. Yes, it is. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the fact that you were intolerant as a child, but you didn't really know it. But it does seem like food was a huge part of your childhood. 
It was. It mm. was. It's, I always laugh and say to people that I thought every family was like that because it just sucked <laughs> apart. And then I got older and realized, oh, no, every family was not like that. <sighs> it's a long line of, I would say, cooks and bakers. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. My dad made all the bread. I think he made it. It was lovely. It smells so good. And he would he would sit there and 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 knead this bread and knead the mm. dough and the whole thing would just look like some kind of zen thing happening mm. because he was he was quiet with it and and soft with it. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but just to say that it just always looked like a little bit of uh, heaven. Mm. And, you know, and then the bread will be fabulous and you're just waiting for it to come out of the oven and, and have your lovely slice with some butter. And you're like, oh, mm. this is yummy. <laughs> but apart from that, my older sister, she's really the one who mothered me. Mm. Um, she's a fabulous at the time. She was a fantastic cook. And she's she's the kind of person, the entire family, really. It, it's like about giving. So, mm. you know, if you are you hungry? You're not going to end up getting an apple. <laughs> no. Don't cut the fruit up and give it to her. No. Cut the fruit up and put some type of granola, some kind of jam, some kind of something, wow. some whipped cream on top of it. And what? And that's mm. how you address, I'm hungry, I can take a snack. That's how mm. you address it. <laughs> you address it mm. with some layering of something. So I grew up in a household like that. She did have a catering business as well. And I would have had my responsibilities, what I would have to make. So I was doing a lot of the baking, so like the cakes, you know, puffs and whatever it is. And are you saying and puffs? I got, uh, not eclairs exactly, but oh, puffs. like cream yeah. puffs. Yes, like cream puffs. Oh man, I've never made those, but wow, are they delicious! Wow, so you made those on a regular basis? Yeah, of course you get a little snobby. You don't think <laughs> snobby at that time, right? You don't think you're snobby. You're just thinking like. Doesn't everyone do this? So at some point in time, like, I I absolutely could not eat anyone else's chocolate cake. So for a while, I started making chocolate cakes and cheesecakes and stuff and selling it to people because I was appalled. Like, what is this lightly brown thing? (laughs) So... And of course, as I said, I was still very young and I, you know, and I did not realize that's just being snotty. I've had more entrepreneurial, maybe. Maybe, maybe that's where it started, but it was really just an absolute I cannot eat what you've you've given me. (laughs) And we're the only family that I know now. You know, the chafing dishes, like when you do catering, you're right. But we've had that for normal family get togethers to this day. Really? In your pantry. (laughs) Well, if it was just the immediate family, the, the table would be set. We've always have a tradition of setting the table and I mean setting the tables you've had your table linens your napkin rings your knife and fork your particular jug your grapefruit spoon for that grapefruit thing yeah and that was as I said I did not know that was atypical at all anyone came over and we had come over and come and spend some time with us that's when the chafing dishes would come out so once it crossed the immediate family thing and everybody else came it was, there's always food. It's just always food. And who made like this all this food? Day. 
mainly my elder sisters. Um, I would have had, as I said, they would give me responsibilities until I got old enough. And then I would probably have to do like this Sunday would be my Sunday cooking day kind of thing. Mm. Did you remember it being exhausting for everyone or was it joyful or both? I think I felt, oh, my God, really? Do I have to do this again? Yeah. (laughs) You know, but yeah, once we all got together. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was and, worth it. It's not just with, yeah, it wasn't just with the family. Anyone who came over, there was something magical about the communal. There was just something really powerful about mm-hmm. that sense mm-hmm. of togetherness. So food was important. It was the the thing that um, that that made us together, happy sharing all of that that's what food was and in addition to that it's it's also the fact that we treated food the way some people would do handbags and shoes and stuff like Mm. that um it's like an explorative kind of thing so Mm -hmm. we were making meals inspired by venezuela that's that's not far from us and that exploration in itself as well was it was just magnificent and then in time that made me um, interested in where did this come from yeah um, because now that I'm older I get to realize well, wow you know there's a similar thing in India or there's a similar thing somewhere else it was fascinating fascinating yes this is exactly where I want to go so you said is there like a distinct line between the foods or has it all kind of come together into something to Trinidadian food yes and no there are some dishes that I think are a collaborative type of effect. But the truth is, the let's say the Indo-Trinidian, there's a distinct, this is, let's just say, Indian food. There's a very distinct set of dishes that qualify like that because it's not made by everyone else. Mm. And then everything else belongs to everyone else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can say that in the Afro-Trinidadians that there's a dish we call Pelau. Mm. It's more, let's say again, Afro-Black type of dish. But the instances of it's Indian food, there's there's mm. a lot more of that. It kind of holds very um, strongly to that tradition. And, okay. and again, between Trinidad and Tobago, Tobago is a little different. Tobago okay. does not have as much Indo, um, yeah. Indian influence. Do you want to hear something, though? I do. Um, so we, in Trinidad, mm. layer spices mm-hmm. are not exactly the same spices as used in India right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are similarities in the masalas and so on. So if I made some kind of curry with yogurt, no, they're not going to eat that. That's That's wrong. So the mm. Indian population in Trinidad and Tobago have developed their own brand of Indian spices and, mm. and mixes and terminology. It's that's that is really interesting. But really, it's not so much that the the main thoroughfare food that it is blended. It really isn't blended. Okay. But um, yeah, there's appreciation and, and it's there and. And Trinidadians are very savvy, very savvy about their food and culture and everything else. They're very, very savvy. They're Mm. not at all what I think people would feel an island is supposed to be like. Um, They're very savvy, very well-traveled, very learned. But let's say the restaurants are so, Mm. um, 
you find a lot of North American type dishes and not even the Indian, not even the African Indian type dishes at all. Okay. I'm not, I feel like savvy is a code word and I'm not sure what it means. <laughs> no, savvy, no, it's, it's, no. And I'm, I'm not meaning this is an insult to anyone, uh-huh. but in terms of exposure or mm. a world view of things mm. as an island and as a people, that world view mm. is broad mm. because it's a small island, but mm-hmm. we export oil. And mm. oil is profitable. Well, so far, oil has okay. been profitable. Okay. And so because of that, there have been a lot of opportunities I see. for people in Trinidad. So, and they've taken it. So yeah. you can have, yeah. you can find that Trinid- Trinidadians in Dubai. Yeah. Their, their worldview is, is very broad for okay. what people consider islanders to be. You know, they kind of think see. that. People who live in the island are relaxed and <laughs> all the time on the beach. And I'm not saying we don't do that because mm-hmm. we have an extremely strong party culture. Mm. But in addition to that, they're very savvy, meaning that they mm-hmm. know a lot. They've traveled yeah. a lot. The restaurants, for the most part, are, you know, they, they're selling North American, European type dishes for the mm. most part. You know, one of our, let's say, the at-home Trinidadian cook, let's just do a dessert. Mm-hmm. The at-home Trinidadian cook previously would just do something we call a sweet bread, mm-hmm. which is literally what it sounds like, but it has raisins yeah. and so on. It's nice mm-hmm. and sweet. There is no restaurant that, that sells that I know of. I'm not talking about a bakery or a pastry shop, but there's no restaurant mm-hmm. really that sells sweet bread. The, mm-hmm. the savviness or the worldview kind of has uh it has influenced yeah what will happen sometimes in the food scene street food is different but mm. that's a restaurant and so it's a little bit yeah mm. that seems a little sad it does for me mm-hmm. not for everybody else i think mm-hmm. people uh attach to our savviness and i'm just now it's being now i'm being um a little sarcastic mm. <laughs> so attached, <laughs> attached to that kind of thing to the point where they feel sophisticated and, and again, I mean, sarcastic. They, they just feel yeah. it's better, you know. Yeah. Um, but the things that have excited me growing up and, and the stuff that I could, the identity of the dishes and saying that this is a really a, a dish from Trinidad, I feel mm. very strongly about that being made more commercially available and also mm-hmm. elevated to the point where you take some pride in that. Mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. Pride. I'm not saying that we're giving everything up I'm just saying that sometimes in the more let's say the restaurant type settings and the high-end type restaurant settings or the hotels or whatever I feel that we could incorporate a lot more of our food so well I think this is the perfect time to talk about doubles right because yes. I, what I <laughs> feel like I'm hearing from you is that this is, let me just tell you the string of sentences that came out of my husband's mouth when I gave him some lunch today. <laughs> he comes out and he goes, that was delicious. That was one of the best things I've ever eaten. Did you make a hundred of those? Is there any more? <laughs> I mean, I'm not done. Can we have those for dinner? 
And he said, I think I see three left. I said, yeah, those are for Jack. That Jack's my oldest. And he said, well, why does Jack get three? And I said, because Jack's currently running nine miles. He said, I will run nine miles for more of those. Oh, my. <laughs> said, that is wonderful. When are we hear. having these next? So, I mean, that um, that chickpea gravy. Oh, I, cu- I could eat the whole pan of that. But what it sounds like you're saying is that's still considered, I'm using air quotes here, street food. And it's like, why would something that delicious not be served in a high-end restaurant. I have no idea. But the thing is, Doubles is going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's street food, but it's street food with her cred. It has street cred, and it's going nowhere. It is the one thing, and I shouldn't say the one thing. There are many others, but it's outstandingly that thing that it doesn't matter what socioeconomic standing you have what ethnic stand it doesn't matter at all doubles is creme de la creme for mm. for Trinidadians and Tobago yes. it mm. is just fantastic you would go to the doubles land and they're all at the side of the road and I'm not saying they're in some beautiful park it could literally be at the side of the road there's a main road here there's cars passing and you're like four feet away but everybody would line up at the doubles yeah. and nobody complained and then they would get their doubles and stand there everybody else is around them and eat it's just this reverence for doubles it's it's amazing it's a reverence because and oh, i think my so husband funny. would absolutely risk his life four feet from the highway for more of those right now <laughs> oh my word that's excellent yes. you want to hear the other thing you yes. made doubles the greater percentage of Trinidad and Tobago will not even try to make doubles at home. The ones who sell are generally East Indians, the Indo-Trinidadians. Those are the ones who sell it. Okay. Uh, generally, you have very few Afro-Trinidadians selling it. They, and it is such a cult classic that you don't make doubles at home. You, you leave it to the professionals. Just right. Don't. <laughs> try to make doubles well i would never make them for a trinidadian i would never (laughs) ever dare to do that but for my family since we don't know what it tastes like on the side of the road all we know is whatever you gave us could not be any better wonderful it was so good but i do want to talk to you about this recipe because i want to do it better (laughs) i want to do it properly for the um for when i take photos so well i have quite a few questions okay so i wrote them down Yes, let's talk about the texture because you said it's important that they're floppy and mine yes. were definitely crispy. So I do I do need to do that properly for the photos. So for I used uh we have a fryer. I used a fryer. Was that a mistake? No. Um it's 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 always deep fried. That's the way it's okay. made. So it's fine. You just once you can get a deep fry, that's okay. okay. Um so when you say fry, not an air fryer. No, 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 no. There was plenty of oil in there. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. So then that's fine. It just has to be deep fried. The reason okay. I, I think it gets floppy is, again, they stack it. I mean, the, the yeah. vendors are selling hundreds of people. So they just stack the bar up one on top of each other and uh-huh. then transport it in some kind of cooler container. And it means that the bar has time to sit one on top of the oh, other and all that okay. steam and whatever. It, it, can, it, it will make it floppy. So even okay. if it comes out of the fryer slightly crisp, mm-hmm. it's going to get floppy because it's all stacked one on top of each other. And that's how they like it. They like the floppiness. Okay. 
Okay. Just then I'll do, these. I'll make a, I think I'm going to make like a quadruple batch of what you gave me to be totally honest. And I think <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. And I think I will do a double batch for my family to eat. And then once they're full, I'll stack, I'll keep making them and stack them to flop because I'm not <laughs> going to be able to keep any to photograph. Oh, I, I'm, really not, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, I'm really not. So, it's um, so good to get someone actually enthusiastic about devils and then not a Trinity. And it's fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. So, and I think the next time also, cause you said it'll make them softer. If I let them rise in the refrigerator overnight, that might help also. Yes. It will help with the taste and texture, especially because it's gluten-free. I'm not sure if you're using split peas powder or Erdidal, which is Urad flour. What what that, is is Erdidal? I could not find any information on that. It is also known as Urad, U-R-A-D. U-R-A-D, okay. Yes, or black lentil. Oh, um, okay. Some people call it that. Yeah. Um, so it's similar to the yellow split pea. Similar, oh. but it, the, the, the husk or the skin, whatever you want to call that, is black. And sometimes it's, they just take that off and blanch it. But what we get here in Trinidad, they call it early powder. And they so they, they've already ground that up. And it's speckled with little black specks and in between the white flower kind of thing. That is not how the street vendors make doubles. They do oh. not use early dal is the original traditional way to make Doubles Vara. Um, okay. So I went all the way back to how it was before to get it gluten-free, to get it healthy, and so it's just not fried. And also to pay respect to the original doubles so that nobody yeah. can see. <laughs> I just went with 30, um, okay. but that is how it was made originally. How did you figure that out? How did you know that? I have no idea. I think it's just... I'm a serious reader, and as I said, my family has always been into food, so I'm quite sure I would have read that somewhere. Now, you said your in-laws are Indo, uh, Indo-Trinidadian. Yeah. Do they make Do they make this dish at home, or do they only go nope. to the street vendor? No, only the street vendor. <laughs> I feel a little, um, I feel like I have chutzpah right now that I've, I feel maybe like I've done something wrong to have made this at home. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I, it's, I tell you, it's just really a cult thing. It's not yeah. like if you tried, you should not be able to make it well yourself. Yeah. There's just this kind of reverence for doubles where people don't want you to mess with it. Okay. Leave it to the street vendors. Yeah. And my husband, he... I, I call him a connoisseur because <laughs> he has his particular favorite doubles vendor on his phone. He has his number on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a street vendor. It's not a restaurant. You don't do yeah. takeout. Why do you all have this intimate conversation? So my husband is like, he's ridiculously <laughs> self-connoisseur. And when he always supports me when I was trying to make roti, he, t- he tasted it, tested it, say, oh, I think you need whatever. When I said, I'm doing doubles, he's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, do not. 
Okay. Well, I know rule number one. I will never, ever, ever make it for a Trinidadian ever. <laughs> we'll just enjoy it here in our home. <laughs> I'm very happy to have you do it. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I was surprised that it had yeast and I bit the teaspoon of yeast and two teaspoons of baking powder for a cup of flour. That's a lot of leavening. Is that just because it's gluten free or if you were using regular wheat flour, would it have that much? It's just because it's gluten free. The oh, yeast okay. really is not there to help with the leavening. Oh. The yeast is there to help with the taste. Because oh, okay. I wondered about that because there was no proving or anything like that. Yeah, it's really about taste. I find that sometimes oh. to mimic the wheat taste, uh, I have to put a little bit of yeast because it, it does a little bit of fermentation when it, it ferments. That's basically mm-hmm. what happens when you put yeast in. Um, start to make gases and so on. And I find that that helps with taste. I, I just think it does help with taste. That is so that's, interesting. That is so interesting. So that's okay. about the conversion. That's okay. a little bit about the conversion from, yeah. Okay. Well, and then I need help, especially if I'm going to be letting it sit overnight. You said um, working on parchment paper or a silpat mat is a great help. In this case, you will flatten the dough. And when you are ready, raise one edge of the parchment to flip the dough onto your hand. So yes. I did do that, but it was still it was still sticking. And I'm afraid if I leave it overnight, it's going to really stick. Do you have, do you think I made the dough too wet? If you're going to leave it overnight, put less water because okay. the the grains are going to absorb the water overnight. So they're okay. actually going to be softer. The starches okay. are going to relax a little bit because of the water. Also, when you, uh, so okay, overnight, you leave the dough as one and that will take care of the stickiness and, and the being able to handle it. And then when you are ready and you take it out of the refrigerator, what you're supposed to do is um, separate the dough and make um, smaller pieces into little balls mm-hmm. and put those to, to rest a bit. Your dough would have already rested, so you might skip it or not. But if you want it to come to room temperature, you make the small balls and just make sure that below it on your surface is properly dusted with like tapioca okay. starch or something that's fine. Not mm-hmm. Not not something green, not like corn or rice flour, anything like that. You just want something soft. Um, I used cornstarch because I had a whole box of it. Is that okay? That's fine. Cornstarch may contribute to some of the crispiness, but as oh, I said, if, okay. it, if it's stacked, if it's stacked, it, it will eliminate that. And it's not a problem. It's, okay. It's not a problem. Don't okay. form the bara before you're ready to put it into the... Yes, you corrected me on that. And oh, you know what? Right, right. Yes, of course. That's why it stuck because I had formed it into those thin discs and then it sat and absorbed all of that liquid. Whereas if I had just left it in those circles. Okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is in Trinidad, the doubles vendors, they don't worry if the bar, like it's punctured or anything like that's not important. Yeah, it's it all about the flavor. It not be a perfect disc all the time. Sometimes it, it falls apart. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but I do think that part of the wondrousness of this dish is the chana, the chickpeas. Yes. So is that why it's called doubles? Because you have both of them? You have the bread and you have the chickpea? Or do you know why it's called doubles? 
no. I, I could not find the answer to that at all because, and I have researched this before, so I have no idea where, why we decide to call it doubles. However, there are people who go to the doubles and then say, hey, I want a triple. And triple specifically means that they want three pieces of vara. So, okay. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but it's the only thing right now that comes to mind when someone says doubles, triple. Okay. Um, they do sell at the doubles vendor. There will always be various chutneys. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Can I kind of go rogue a little bit on that? Or is yeah, there a Okay. <laughs> okay. No. Well, they they had mangoes on sale today, and I thought, well, a mango chutney would be pretty good on this. Would that be completely inauthentic, or would that be okay? No. That would be okay. I love okay. mango chutneys. Okay. Not everyone wants chutney because the chutneys tend to be sweet. The sliced or just grated cucumber that's that's also a thing. Yeah. That's yeah. The thing. And okay. then pepper sauce. So you so, go to the double vendor and you say, slight. Yeah. And he knows that means don't put too much pepper. That's all you have to say, slight. Okay, so it would be like a habanero pepper sauce or something? Uh, Scotch bonnet peppers. Oh, my uh, word. <laughs> most Trinidadians love spicy. And okay. it's not the kind of spicy when you go to, let's say, a restaurant in the U.S., like a salsa or something. Right. Else. Uh, yeah. While we're talking about that, I have never in my life heard of or seen, is it culantro? Culantro. Nobody calls it that in Trinidad. What do you, what do you, what do you call it? <laughs> I know it because it, it's called bandanya or bandanya. shadow benny. Um, okay. And that really is an, not a popular spice outside of the Caribbean. And I know this because um, we use that a lot in food. And every single time, like if I, well, as I said, I'm a little different now and I understand things more. But if we had someone over and they were from another island or from the U.S., they would always taste it. There was always something. They'd be like, what is this? Not everyone liked it because it has a very distinctive taste. And Interesting. because it grows wild and and um, prolific, it's, it's very prolific. It, it just it just grows so easily. So you, you just have it all over yeah. the yard if you wanted in between the grass and you just go pick it yeah, mm. yeah. all right well i've enjoyed this conversation so yeah. much i really really have is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't touched on or or you wanted to elaborate on that you didn't get a chance to no i think that's fine i think okay so the choice doubles was conscious because it is so unifying yeah doubles as a dish it's 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 really unifying. There's absolutely no one out of any of this, the ethnic minorities, majorities, whatever, that will not like that. Everybody loves it. That's awesome. Well, tell everybody where they can find you, because one thing we didn't get to touch on, but is um, I, I, there's there's a lot you have to offer is what I'm trying to say. So people will want to go and learn about your baking learn about your art. I hope you show more of that. And also you are an incredible phone photographer. And so people are going to want to go and be inspired by that. So please tell everybody how and where they can find you. You just Moise Gluten-Free Kitchen. And that's on all platforms. If it's Facebook, Instagram, or my blog website, it's all Moise Gluten-Free Kitchen. 
lovely, lovely. And I really do like helping people succeed with their baking. Oh, I, I absolutely love doing it. So mm-hmm. if someone found me and they want to ask a question, fire away. Mm, <laughs> I would love to have. Yeah, that's so generous of you. And you really do have a wealth of knowledge to share. So um, thank you. Thank you very much, Moy. It really has been such a lovely evening to sit and chat with you. Yeah, I I promise when I come to Maryland the next time, I'm going to try and find you. Yes, let's do it. I would love it. I would love that. Okay. All right. Take care, Moy. Okay. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Moy. All of her contact information, as well as her recipe for doubles, is on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. This Friday, I'll be putting out a short bonus episode with her best tips for going gluten-free. Next week, I welcome Nermeen to share about her fascinating life. As an Egyptian woman, she achieved the rare honor of being appointed an Egyptian diplomat. While serving in that role, she fell in love with an American diplomat. They married, she naturalized as an American citizen, and now their family travels the world in foreign service, where Nermeen uses culinary diplomacy to connect with other families. Please make sure you subscribe right this moment. And do please remember that every single share and every review helps me continue in this effort. They all mean so much to me. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.